We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia where this podcast was recorded and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hi there, I'm Daniel Moore and you're listening to Season 3 of the Hearing Architecture Podcast, proudly sponsored by Brickworks. At the moment, we're talking to building environment professionals about gender equity and how women experience the architecture and construction space as our cultural awareness shifts beyond the elementary family model. Our guest in this episode is Megan White. Megan is a registered architect and director of Megan White Architects based in Western Australia. Megan shares some of her difficult experiences as a young female architect, developing her skills in large practices, how having children changed her approach to residential architecture, and how specialising in architecture can be freeing when you know what you want. I'll now hand over to Aileen Chu and Ryan Barut, who are Imagine representatives based in Western Australia. Let's jump in. Joining us at Hearing Architecture. Today we'll be talking to Megan White, Director of Megan White Architects in Perth, Western Australia. Megan is one of a growing number of female architects who have turned to running small, bespoke architectural practices in order to accommodate motherhood and flexible working hours. Megan's modest range of homes feature a synergy in her ability to understand and unpick family routines. Her work also features the use of raw materials, clean forms, and you can tell I probably had a wine when I wrote this. some spicy <laughs> detailing and like interior <laughs> choices. So hello, Megan. Thanks so much for speaking with us today. Would you like to share your experience in the industry prior to Megan White Architects? <laughs> Uh, yeah, sure. I graduated in 1993, which was a long, long time ago. It's interesting that over 50% of my class was female back then, which is 29 years ago, which it's a shame that we don't have 50% of female architects in our industry today. Um, when I graduated, it was the 90s recession. There was no jobs. Uh, everyone that graduated was basically going to Asia. They weren't even applying for jobs. I was lucky enough to get a job in a large firm called Woodheads, which was the biggest architectural Australian practice at the time. And I had to waitress at night to afford to live out of home, (laughs) to continue living out of home. So that tells you how much I got paid a week. I think actually I know what it was. It was $14,500 a year. It was less than my waitressing job. But because it was the 1990s recession, you were just lucky to have a job. That's how it was. So when you guys think you've had it hard, (laughs) it's actually getting a lot better. From here I worked at a lot of big practices. Um, I moved with Woodheads to Singapore and Perth. I then came back from um, Malaysia and worked with Cox, Howlett and Bailey and Haim Sharley, and I worked a lot in the big companies, which I think is really interesting because you get to see all the different facets of architecture and work out what you're good at. A bit like doctors specialise. There's a lot of specialisations in architecture, and as a graduate you probably don't know which one is yours until you've seen them all. 
so yeah I was really lucky I enjoyed it but there weren't a lot of girls females around there was a couple (laughs) and that was about it (laughs) so yeah what do you think there weren't a lot of females I think because it's low pay was very low paid like there wasn't a lot of jobs so not a lot of opportunity I think some of my contemporaries females well they went into selling tiles and other jobs and never probably moved and you do long hours too so it doesn't suit everybody I think I mean architecture did give you an opportunity to work in different cities and you said that was pretty exciting but I guess at some point you decided to leave large practice I was 28 29 and I could see everyone around me buying houses and getting somewhere and I couldn't even afford a flight back to Adelaide where I'm originally from, from Perth. So I was living week to week and I I wasn't getting anywhere in the company I was working at. I was picking tiling layouts and I think that was because it was male-dominated. I was one of, I think, two female architects. You don't go on site you get to pick colours and tiling layouts and you kind of get pushed around. This is this is back then, not now, so I can only talk from my experience. And I thought I would try advertising, so I went and did award school. And I thought about getting into urban design as well and I did a bit of urban design in the company I was working at at the time, which I quite enjoyed. So I then jumped to an urban design firm after I had um, a bit of a situation at work. And I actually enjoyed that. Uh, yeah, it was sort of this kind of how do I get out but still use my skills, you know, which way am I going to go? So I do love architecture. That's the thing. <laughs> I was just, it's just a hard slog. That was, that was my problem and low pay at the time. When I moved from architecture to urban design, I was actually contemplating the role within the current architecture firm and it was a Friday afternoon and the directors had all been to lunch and it was the drinks on the Friday afternoon and I went up to the director of urban design and said, why didn't you put me in the next project? Because I'd done the previous project. Why, why am I not in this project team? And he said, what's the point in training you to be an urban designer when you're just going to get married and have babies? <laughs> and I, I had a colleague next to me, a male colleague, who was also a really good friend who put his arm on my arm, pulled me away and said, Megan, don't say anything. And on the Monday I came in and I resigned and I went and actually worked in a town planning urban design firm. But that mentality back then um, was pretty standard. So that also didn't help me with my, I want to be an architect, if you sort of come up against those roadblocks of, you know, not getting the opportunities. Um, lucky enough, the gentleman who held my hand in that instance and pulled me away is now the managing director of that particular firm and he remembers that incident and he's very passionate about females and doing the right thing. So everything has a silver lining. <laughs> it, it was a negative thing at the time. It's been really positive, I think, for females in WA because it's quite a big firm and they have a lot of females working for them, which is great. I think I've said this before, but I think it's a fantastic story. I guess it's quite hard for me saying this because I'm obviously not a female, but some of the hurdles that you have faced, such as 
having children or not being respected in the workplace, is there any advice you would give to young girls or emerging female architects to face those hurdles, whether they start their own practice or, you know, get out of toxic workplaces or persevere? I mean, it's just, you've just got to be strong, don't you? Even on site, I never had any on site experience in the big firms because I think they're too scared. They were too scared to take you. But as an architect, you need on site experience and you need to be, you need to know everything a plumber knows, everything that air conditioner guy knows, everything the electrician. You need to know every trade because at the end of the day, you're directing them and you're telling them. Well, the builder is, but through your, what you draw, you need to understand what they do. So, yeah, you have to keep backing yourself and don't let them push you down. <laughs> and I think that's what happened to me. I I let them push me down and I went off and tried to get out of the profession and then fell back in. And I think that's what has traditionally happened with a lot of females. I was just lucky I got back in. It's hard to say to someone young, keep pushing yourself because you've got to have a lot of front and that's, you know, not everyone's like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I think in our industry too, we females underestimate themselves. I don't know if I just feel I used to think, oh, my work is not as good as his work and then later on in life I've realised actually my work was quite good. But I used to always look at these guys and go, oh, this is so amazing. Um, so maybe have as much as you can, have as much belief in what you're doing and put it out there and back yourself, yeah. At the moment, there are about 50% female students in architecture and not a lot of these numbers make it into, let's just not even say senior position, but even kind of register as architect. Yes. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's the long hours, it's situations like that that happened to me a long time ago where that can be a real change point in your career. If you came up against something like that, you would start to get negative. And that's what sort of happened to me. I I think the world is changing very quickly and I can only talk from my perspective. But back not that long ago, even in um, 2007 when I did register, you couldn't get a part-time membership with the Institute of Architects. They didn't have one. They actually laughed at me when I asked. And I was only earning, I was a mum with two kids. I was only working a couple of days a week, so I wasn't earning that much. And I wanted to be a member of the Institute, but I couldn't, you know, it would, the fee took, you know, 30% of my wage for that year. There was no point. So it's the industry which is changing, which has been predominantly male-dominated, but also our regulatory bodies, they have to be at the forefront and push these things. And that will, it is changing. It's it's taking a long time. That's my only problem. I think it should be really easy for you, the younger generation, to to want to do architecture and stay in it and have babies and come back. If they have, you know, it should be a lot more flexible. So we can all be part of the profession. And they don't lose these great designers and great architects. That's right. Well, I think there was actually a study done in Denmark that um, if parental leave was actually supported both the father and the mother, ultimately women end up earning about, don't quote me on this, disclaimer, about three times what they would have earned if 
they didn't have to stop work. Yes. Yeah. And that obviously contributes to the economy. But it was also the loss of talent. There's so many people that are incredibly talented females who then don't get the opportunities and then choose not to come back to the profession after having children or they don't earn as much as their husbands. And so someone there has to be give and take. And I'm not sure what that looks like, but I've been lucky enough to have a bit of a situation where it works for us, but I fell into that and I work for myself. So, But not everyone wants to do that. So, mm. There are quite a number of um, female architects now that have started their own practice and it seems to really suit them. Are you able to kind of like share some light on that? We were living in Melbourne and I had my first child and we decided to come back to Perth because we loved it. Uh, we didn't have a lot of family support, but I we had a house in West Leadville. I did an extension to it. I was the builder and architect. I was pregnant with my second child while I was the builder, which was entertaining for everybody on the street <laughs> as I was putting bricks into bins. And it got on the cover of a couple of magazines and serendipity, the phone rang, and I was just exceptionally lucky to all of a sudden start working part-time, doing houses. I always loved residential work. I never in my wildest dreams imagined I would be working in residential architecture and running my own practice. I just It wasn't even something I thought was achievable and it just happened and I just felt completely blessed to be able to do what I do. And then having kids, you can have this flexibility where you if one's sick or someone's got their long-distance run or their um, school sports day, you can manipulate your work times and there's someone always there. And I think that's important as a fa- as kids grow up that there's some one of the parents is always there and that was me. So I could drop everything, not every time, but, yeah, I've been there and my work has given me that opportunity to do that. I don't know if I'd have that if I was in a big firm I'm hoping I might, but I was just lucky. I was just really lucky. (laughs) (laughs) You often mention that your your experience around the house and being so present in your family environment and being able to be present in your family environment has made you a better and more sought-after architect yeah it was uh, I think being a mum and working from home too very important especially the working from home thing um a lot more people were doing it but I just started getting a lot of in, a lot of clients family homes and I understood how it was to finish work get in the kitchen watch the kids doing homework I just wanted and I designed a house in Cottesloe for us after doing the West Laterville and Again, that got published quite a lot and from here my work was just more family orientated and also families of different age groups. So, you know, when they're babies there's a different way of doing things but then you need a house to be flexible as they start growing up and needing more independence. And having kids, male or female, you start to understand that and because I work in residential work, yeah, it really helped me to do that. 
and also I, I, I love small houses. I don't love big houses and I like houses to be able to move with the family and how they develop and I think I'm, I think I'm good at that. So, yeah, and I enjoy doing that. I love getting into how do you work? How does your family work, you know, and how can we make your family work better and what we're going to do and that excites me. Yeah, I can't help but think of one of your projects. I think you know which one I'm going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> the one that's got a literal bar out in the street. Yeah. How in the world did that go? <laughs> um, that it was a very narrow block on a street. It's quite well known. The kids play cricket on this street. It's quite narrow. The block was narrow, but they wanted a three-car garage, which meant the house next to it was designed by an architect. It had a two-car garage and a door, and there was no connectivity to the street. And the street was where everybody lived because the blocks were quite small and they had two boys. And I was like, okay, well, you can't do all the things you want to do. So that was the challenge, and we sunk the cars down at great expense, but we had this excellent skateboard ramp, which became the ramp to the front door. And because this, because the street was so interactive, we built the kitchen as you come straight in the front door, but a bar that faced the street. So it became a neighbourhood bar come kids skateboarding on the road or playing cricket and having a drink and being able to come up and say, Mum, can I have a snack? And Mum being able to watch the kids skateboarding or playing cricket. And, um, yeah, that was fun. I liked that. I really like that house. <laughs> and they love it. And it's easy. It's really beachy and, you know, it's the kind of place you bring the sand in and then get the blower inside the kitchen to get the sand out. It's not precious. So did you say the kitchen was oriented towards the street? It's oriented. It's actually, you know how people have these, oh, come into the foyer thing? It's such a waste of space. You basically just come into the kitchen, but the kitchen is so cool that it all just works. It has an amazing lift-up window that's over the bar and, yeah, works for Friday night drinks. It works for kids playing cricket. It's just fun, yeah. And then it becomes really flexible because as the kids grow older, they can obviously host their own <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it gets a bit too popular, I've heard from the clients at some stages. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, it's fun. And and I suppose that's like what we do as architects. We, you know, we work with the problems and we solve them and we come up with great designs and create these houses that have, you know, people have saved up all their money. They want a forever house. They want it to be everything. Um, and they want to love every minute of it. And that's your job, which is a pretty big job to fulfill so yeah it's good when you get 98 percent of it it's good <laughs> yes there's always mm. quite high expectations of architects um it, it's actually really interesting that you say the house needs to just you just need to enter and the house is just there and you're just living in it as opposed to entering this kind of intermediary formal space but it's almost like a modern apartment you enter and the kitchen's just there yeah in a sense mm. it's like an like extended apartment mm. i do that like some people like the formal entry i heard during covid it's now coming back in because people can drop things and you can pick them up so who knows you know maybe that's something for the future <laughs> but i do I, I i like just having real spaces that you're using and making sure everything's usable and making it quality spaces, not just big spaces. 
on Alston Street. I know it's a subdivision, mm. but the houses look really generous mm. for that size. Mm. And you say you like kind of small, intimate spaces, but there's a kind of playfulness, especially in that project with the, you've got some circular curved forms mm. and generous, generous glazing. Is that, <laughs> I feel like your work has evolved so far up to that point. It's just quite a slightly different language from say, um, I think Lions cats, Urban oh, cats. Yeah. House, which had was which was very raw, whereas Alston Street felt more refined almost. Um, cats. So I it's really finished. it's so much about the client. Um, Cat had spent twenty years in London, had owned this block in West Leadville, and that's what she she wanted. She wanted kind of this warehousey kind of feel, but make it home. She didn't want it too big. It's quite a small house, Cat's house. Um, I really like that project. It's really interesting. I, yeah, this it's yeah, it's fun. That it was fun working on that. And then Alston was a little bit different. It's in Mosman Park, so it was a bit more of a uh, West Leadville is probably a little bit more arty and gritty, and Mosman Park is a bit shiny. And so we were the, probably one of the first subdivisions and what we were trying to do was show you there's big blocks in Muslim Park and we wanted to show you how you could take a big block, subdivide it. Both those houses, one's on 400 square metres and the other's on 390. It's They're not big blocks and the houses are three-bedroom, two-bathroom with study and two living areas. But again... They don't have, there's no um, corridor space. So there's no, it all kind of flows together. We have, there's no wasted space. Um, and we also wanted to, there was a client owned one and we owned the other. And we wanted them not to be completely different, but not the same, but also a bit Mosman Park, <laughs> if that makes any sense. So there is a bit of gold there, which is probably not me, but I actually like that project. I think it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's now actually, if you drive past, it's the garden, the roof garden, there's things hanging everywhere. It's quite organic. So yeah, it's growing into itself. I like it. I love that project. <laughs> it's glitzy, but I love it. <laughs> well, that's the Muslim Park thing. It's, it's a bit, and when we built one ourselves, so we weren't sure if we were going to live there or sell it. So we had this kind of thing where we wanted it to appeal to a lot of people. And whereas the other one, the one to the north, was a client um, who we went in partnership with and his is quite personable but still fun. It's got some angles and his actually his actually looks beautiful now. The, the front garden box, it's all just happening. I love it. Good landscaping. <laughs> Good landscaping. Mm. Personally, I just wanted to let you know that when we design and we go, okay, this is a little bit bold for Perth. We show them your designs. Oh. And you're like, well, Megan White has done a lot with a seemingly kind of neutral palette as well. So if you add this extra thing, then you get that wow factor. It doesn't have to be, you know. Yeah, you're right, Perth, Perth. But it's it's moving. I can see it, you know, with Jimmy and mm. all these young guys, Philippe. And it's, it's just something. A lot, And with, you know, the internet, there's just a lot more people 
looking out and seeing other projects. You've got to understand before you had the internet, the only way you saw anything new was going somewhere. I lived in Melbourne and I was just every day just like, wow, 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 this is amazing, wow. And then you come back to Perth and you walk, you know, five streets and you don't see anything that inspires you. Now there's so many architects doing so many great things. We are going to be walking down every street and going, wow, wow, wow. It's exciting. You guys are living a great time. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah. Actually not a bad time to be a sole practitioner and a female one at that because I think you guys are doing a lot of great work, especially in the residential sector. There's just been so much good stuff coming out of sole female practitioners Mm. in Perth. Mm. It's amazing. Mm. It used to be a boys' club. It was really boys club and they used to all talk but they never actually invited you to anything it still happens but there are some good female practices coming and and we're lucky because we live in a beautiful state and just need to get our clients moving a little bit more forward (laughs) keep pushing keep pushing (laughs) yeah absolutely just in closing i'm going to read this out like do you have any advice for women in the industry now and women who are currently considering architecture as a profession? I think architecture is a great profession. I've been particularly lucky. I think if you're thinking of studying architecture or studying it now, it's a great time to get into the profession as a female. I think a lot has happened over the last 30 years, which has been some of it not so good, but a lot of it, we are moving in the right direction and I think now there's a lot more quality and a lot more understanding of family life if you choose to have children, if you want to come back, if you want to do part-time. The world has changed a lot and I don't think you'll come up against some of the hurdles that I have and others have have previously been through the architecture profession. I'm still in it. When I went and did architecture, I never thought I could... Maybe it was a female thing. I never thought I could run my own practice. I never thought I would be designing houses. I just thought I would be an architect, working in a big firm. I think the sky's the limit. Do what you want to do. Now there's so many more opportunities. So, yeah, don't limit yourself. Work out what you're really good at and what you want to do because that'll lead you in the right direction where you want to go. This has been Hearing Architecture, proudly sponsored by Brickworks. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you so much to our guest in this episode, Megan White from Megan White Architects. Thank you so much for everything you're doing in WA and for setting such a high standard in residential design for all of your clients. Our sponsor, Brickworks, also produce architecture podcasts hosted by modernist fanatic and comedian Tim Ross. You can find The Art of Living, Architects Abroad and The Power of Two at brickworks.com.au or your favourite podcast platform. The more support we get from you, the more episodes we get to make. So if you'd like to show your support, please rate, review and subscribe to Hearing Architecture in your favourite podcast app. If you want to know more about what the Australian Institute of Architects is doing to support architects and the community, please visit architecture.com.au.
This is a production by the Australian Institute of Architects Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. The Institute production team was Madeline Jenkins and Claudia McCarthy and the Imagine production team was Aileen Chu and Ryan Barut. Written and directed by Daniel Moore. This content is brought to you by the Australian Institute of Architects, Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. This content does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. This content does not constitute legal, financial, insurance or other types of advice. You should seek independent verification of advice before relying on this content in circumstances where loss or damage may result. The Institute endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published, but does not accept responsibility for content that may or will become inaccurate over time.